Well, hey, if you got your Bibles, open that uh, up to Acts chapter uh, one. Uh, we'll get to Ephesians four uh, here in uh, a little bit. Let me introduce myself. My name is Aaron Cotton, uh, and I'm the family discipleship pastor uh, here at the Grove. And today we celebrate, as we've been hearing all throughout our gathering, uh, is the ascension uh, of Jesus. And so we have Christmas that we celebrate, we have Easter that we celebrate, uh, and then we are following the Christian calendar, which has uh, Ascension Sunday being today. And then next Sunday, uh, we'll talk about Pentecost to celebrate uh, the empowering of the Spirit. And so the reason why we follow uh, the Christian calendar uh, as a church, according to our preaching schedule, uh, is because when Jesus moves, uh, we want to move with him. When Jesus moves, we, we want to move with him. And so that's why we took uh, through the past series after uh, Easter, we talked about um, Jesus appearing to his disciples over the course of 40 days, which leads us to this morning to Acts chapter one. So if you have your Bibles, I mean, start in Acts chapter one, verse six. And the title of this morning is the ascended, but yet available Jesus. Acts chapter one, uh, verse six, Luke writes this. So when they had come together, they asked him, the disciples, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So Jesus says, hey, y'all, wait for, wait for the Spirit to come. And as y'all, as y'all are waiting, the disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. I mean, you just rose from the grave. We've been celebrating that. But now Jesus is now the time you're gonna make things right. I mean, we've got these Romans that are on our back. We're in bondage. Jesus is now the time that you're going to sit on the throne physically and rule over all and to release us out of bondage. And Jesus says, hey, this is, this is, my, this is not for you to know that. My father has known this. It's by his own fixed authority that he has the times and the seasons. So I don't know where we're at this morning, uh, church, but I, I have a question for us. And the question is this, is that will we trust God's timing rather than our own timing? I mean, if it was up to the disciples, they would have rather had Jesus on the throne ruling and reigning physically to get them out of bondage, but yet he invites us to wait and to really see him this morning already ascended and sitting, sitting at the throne. Because seasons are temporary, they come and go, but our God does not change. He is ever consistent and persistent in pursuing his people despite circumstance or how we feel. Will we trust his timing or rather will we demand him to conform to our own timing? Jesus doesn't owe us anything yet he graciously gives us himself so that we can find our everything in him. Our rest, our relief, our joy, our hope, our purpose it's all given in him, in Jesus. But we need help in this. That's why he says in verse eight, but when you receive power, when you receive the dunamis, the dunamis, it's Greek for you this morning. I thought I'd throw out some Greek, spice things up a little bit. But it's really that word, when you, you will receive power, that's where we get our word dynamite. That when you, this season, go into your 4th of July birthday parties and you go to your fireworks stands and you see fireworks busting out and exploding for all you pyros and firework junkies, be thinking about Acts chapter 1 verse 8. That you receive powers. Church, do you remember when the Holy Spirit revealed himself, wooed himself to Jesus and you saw Jesus for the first time? I don't know for me, but that, that, was, like a, that was an explosion. That was a dynamite moment that's forever changed my life, the trajectory of 
my life. Because when the spirit comes, he'll receive, you'll receive power that will come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. If you've been in church for a little while, we're, we're, we're familiar with this. Or if you've been on a mission trip, I mean, this is like the verse that we slap on a t-shirt that we all wear to go to the airport. So we all, everybody knows that we're part of the church. But church, this isn't just supposed to be a verse that we look at from a distance or that we put on for decoration. But this is a verse intended to be the direction of our life. Because not only do we have geographical expansion, not only do we see the gospel doing go, going forth in the book of Acts, we do see it going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the remotest parts of the world, but more importantly, we see people expansion. We see lives being changed from all different backgrounds, all different languages, all different tongues, all different ethnicities, but yet they're coming together to worship the King, the ascended Jesus. But yeah, it didn't start out that way. The disciples liked to camp out in Jerusalem because they were comfortable. And the Bible says in Acts chapter eight that God brought persecution and that the church spread to Judea and to Samaria. I don't want us to get to that point where persecution comes, but church, here's a temptation for us here in the burbs of Richmond or Sugarland or Fulcher, wherever you're at, is that if we're not careful, comfort can get the best of us. It will make us apathetic. We'll become inward focused and abandon Jesus in his mission if we're not careful being here in the burbs, elevating comfort and convenience rather than the kingdom. But yet when the, when the Holy Spirit comes and empowers us, it, it, it leads us to get out of Jerusalem to get around people that aren't like us, that are in Judea and Samaria, that are kind of religious, but, but not really. They're like the CEOs. They're like the Christian Easter only kind of people. They're, they're kind of on in between. And you got the remotest people out, like, that are out there that don't even speak the same language as us. Church, how can we, when those people are put before us, the indifferent and the defiant, how can we engage them with the gospel. It's been a prayer of mine this week. I wanna encourage all of us to be praying this as well in the week to come. This is a dangerous prayer, so get ready. With this in mind, will you join me this week in praying ascended and available Jesus? What does risk for your kingdom look like? This week, this month, this year, and wherever you call me, King Jesus, will you give me the boldness to follow you in the waters? Can you imagine what would take place if we truly pray this prayer and then we're obedient to the prompting, to the boldness that the Lord gives? Can you imagine what could take place? The, the orphan could find a home. Uh, a neighbor or coworker could begin following Jesus. Maybe a parent would begin to disciple their kids. Maybe someone in this room with the idea of risk would sell everything that they have and go bring Christ to the nations. Maybe the addict in the room would find freedom. Maybe a neighborhood group or a growth group would be multiplied. Maybe we would even downsize our home to be more generous for the sake of the kingdom. And maybe churches would be planted so that every man, woman, and child would have an opportunity to respond to the gospel. Can you dream with me a little bit this morning? The amount of risk that when the spirit lands on the place, it's dynamite. It busts forth and propels us to not just be in the church to fill a seat, but to be sent out and be the church. That's why Jesus came. That's why he's ascended. And that's why he rules over all. 
In verse nine, we see this, the disciples, Jesus looks at him, uh, Luke writes this, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. I don't know about y'all, but I was thinking about the disciples in that moment who spent years with Jesus. In a sense, he's, they think he's almost piecing out. I don't know if Jesus is doing this as he's riding up in the cloud. I don't know, uh, I just had my memory. But there was a cloud that was taking him up into heaven. I had to nerd out a little bit, and I thought about this cloud. I thought, why the significance of, of a cloud? Because in, in the cloud, we see in the Old Testament, God leading his people. We see God speaking to his people. And when the cloud moved in the Old Testament, Israel moved with them. And so in the cloud, is the Shekinah, Shekinah glory is around Jesus. And he's saying, y'all, I'm leaving, but I'm sending my spirit. I'm leaving, I'm ascending. I'm gonna go sit at the right hand of the Father and I'm gonna do some work, but I ain't gonna abandon you as orphans. I'm gonna be with you. And yet my, my father is receiving me and saying, yeah, that's my son. Come sit down next to me and let's see our people be sent out on mission so that every man, woman, child hear and respond to the gospel. So our first point this morning is this, is that the ascended Jesus, the ascended one, he reigns over all. Church, where are we not submitting to the king? And what needs to, need to be dethroned? in order to surrender over to Jesus so that he can be enthroned on our life? Is it comfort? Is it approval? Is it lust? Is it control? Because he rules church, what does kingdom risk look like in your life? And because he sits on the throne, he's got you. So it makes this even doable. If you got your Bibles, flip with me to Ephesians chapter four. I wanted us to, to see the ascension. I want us to kind of be wrapped up in that moment as the disciples see their saviors, they see their Lord ascending into heaven. Ephesians chapter four, verse one, Paul writes this, I therefore, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. I mean, Paul's literally, he's in prison in this moment, but he's bound to Jesus despite the circumstance. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What does a worthy life look like? What does a Christian life look like? Right here, verse two, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. If you wanna know what the Christian life looks like, I mean, it's, it's right there. And how, we, how are we doing in these things? And the peace and the patience and the peace. But Paul says, hey, this is what a, a walk looks like. This is what a, a walk that is worthy Looks like I have a son, uh, he's about to be a, a year old and he's, uh, he's crawling really good, uh, but he's, uh, he's trying to get on his feet and start to walk. And so the only way that he can get up and, and, and wobble a little bit is if he uh, does the Spider-Man walk, is what I call it. So he'll get on our walls and do these like shimmies as, as, uh, as he walks, because that's safe for him, that's secure for him. And so uh, he'll get on the wall and then he'll, he'll immediately, when he gets like uncomfortable, like he'll, get on, he'll immediately jump on the ground and just start doing the army crawl. Because uh, he's not he's secure enough to walk on his own. He hasn't developed that, that, that muscle yet to get out there and, and move. But when dad comes along and he knows his dad's in the picture, he'll go from couch to couch to dad and then he'll, he'll reach up his hands. And I don't know how he does, he's a little ninja. He just grabs my finger, grabs my pinky. I didn't even know he grabbed it and he's got a hold of me and he's wanting to move. And so a lot of my time in my house during the evenings when I come home, is just walking my son around our house as he's clinging, clinging on to me. Because when he knows he has his father's hands, he knows that he can move. He knows that he can go places that he wasn't able to go before because he has his father's 
hands that he is clinging onto. And we go on adventures. We avoid the oven when it's on. So I have to steer him a little bit to get him away from the oven. We have a cat, so we have a litter box. Pray for me. We have a litter box and everything. I have to guide him away from the litter box because it's filthy and dirty. And we don't want to be messing that. I don't even know why cat's in my house, but it is. But we got we to we steer away because I'm able to guide him. I'm able to move him. You think, Aaron, why are you, going, why are you talking about your son? I do love him, but I, I will say this. When I, talk, when I hear Paul talking about walking in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, we can easily just hang out on the wall in Jerusalem, in our safety and our security. And our father says, hey, if you want to live out this peace and patience and kindness, hey, grab a hold of me. This is the only way it's going to be worth it. So church, would you cling on to the father? Would you cling on to him? Because he'll take you places you never thought you'd go. And it's risky and it's scary, but it's worth it. I think you'd be failure to not go out into the waters with them to be on the boat of safety and security saying, nah, Jesus, I'm good. I'm, I'm all right, I'm okay standing right here. But when we think about risk, what it would it look like to grab our father and walk with him as he guides us and moves us to where he wishes? So I look at those verses, church, and I have to ask the question is, which of these do we need maturity in? Is it humility? Is it gentleness? Is it patience? Is it bearing with one another in love? It's not just like striving for unity, but are we eager, Paul says, to maintain the unity of the spirit? Because there's two things, church, that will rob us of, of unity. It's grumbling and it's gossip. And if we're not careful, we can allow our grumbling to, 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 to come out in some, in some go gossip and it no longer unifies the church, but it destroys the church. Because we would rather be the hero of the story and tear down others rather than lifting other people up. But in the church, we lay down our lives so that not only Christ can live through us, but that other people can live as well. That's what the, that's what the gospel goes. So how could we grow in some of these things? Ask, ask your, maybe your neighborhood group tonight, we go through this list and say, hey, which of y'all do, do you think I need maturity in? Or you look at your spouse, look at your growth group and say, where, where do I need room to grow and allow the spirit to work church, if we want to mature in our faith, it comes through repentance and faith. That's why Paul says, I boast about my weaknesses so that Christ can be glorified. Would we boast about our weaknesses and allow him to do a work? Paul continues to write in verse four, there is one body, y'all with me church? Ephesians four, verse four, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. And maybe if you've got a pen or a pencil, maybe we write next to that, just Trinity. That Paul's presenting this Trinitarian language to say to us that even though there are three distinct persons in the triune God, there is one church, one God through the variety of the gifts, through the races, the ages, the languages. Church, we are one under the ascended, reigning, and ruling Jesus. So this means that we're not in competition with one another, but we're called to collaborate and, and link arms and work together, according to Habakkuk 2, which I think Paul's alluding to this language of the glory of the Lord filling the earth. The glory of the Lord filling the earth and not filling a building that we look at the one church, we, 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 we need the glory of the Lord to be broken out and unleashed in the city of Richmond, in the city of Sugarland, 
and for it to flow out, that we wouldn't be so consumed to what happens on a Sunday morning, though Sunday morning is important. We do this to celebrate and remember God's faithfulness, to hear the preaching of the word. But if we just come to sit, the gospel will not go forth. We're called to fill the earth with the glory of the Lord. And we can't do it by ourselves as the grove. We need other churches. But it's hard. I mean, other churches may think, hey, well, they're not doing things as good as we are. We have a different vision. I mean, we don't, like, we're not in line totally, but we're, like, we're, we're, we're on the same page like, with the, the essentials. But there's some other things that we may feel led to do. Like they say that, but what they're really thinking is that they're not really as good as us. And so like, if they're not like on our, like our level, then I don't know if we can, really, we can really partner with that. I mean, y'all have experienced this. We've been through school. I don't know about y'all, but I couldn't stand group projects. When I got paired up with somebody, I'm like, ah, I went from, you paired me up with that guy, I went from an A to like a B minus at best. Why? Because I would think that I could do the work better than other people. That was, that was in me, still, it's, it's still in me that I have to wage war against. But yet, in that being revealed, with Jesus and our attention being on the ascended Jesus, on him, it empowers us to work together that I don't have all the answers. I don't have everything figured out. And in humility, it causes us to link arms with the church, to work together, to point others to the true hero of the story rather than make heroes of ourselves. So maybe church, rather than looking down on other churches because they're not like us, let us look up to the ascended one and see how we can collaborate rather than compete. What would it look like, church, to celebrate other churches' successes, the baptisms that are being taken place, that the gospel is going places? Let us pray for churches in our area to pray that the kingdom of darkness would be done away with, that it would go away and that the kingdom of light would break out and the glory of the Lord would fill the earth, as Habakkuk 2 says, as the waters cover the sea. So as you go on your vacations this summer, it's June, you're probably thinking about, I'm gonna go get the ocean in front of me, see some waves. As you look down in that ocean, you see how big the waters are. Let us remember Habakkuk 2, that just as the waters cover the sea, let it propel us to be a part of the glory of the Lord filling the earth. The ascended Jesus, he reigns over all. But the ascended Jesus, he also, he unifies the church. And thirdly, the ascended Jesus provides gifts to equip the church to impact the city. If you got your Bibles, look with me in verse seven. But when grace was given to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift, verse eight, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. It's a quote from Psalm 68. And saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. I don't have much time to go into, into verse seven, but there may be a question in us that rises is that does this mean that people have entrusted with more than, uh, than me or maybe myself? Have people been entrusted more with others or this gift than maybe myself? Or, and I just invite us to be careful that when we start, as we heard last Sunday, comparing ourselves to other people, it can easily divide the body. And now we have jealousy going on. We have entitlement going on rather than being so thankful that we've been given a gift 
that Jesus has given him himself to us, has entrusted himself to us with this message of the gospel for us to be a part of his kingdom work. That each of us in this room, if you have a relationship with the Lord, has been given a gift, great or small, from Jesus himself. The question is, is will we steward that gift given? Finding the approval in him rather than in the applause of others. He will not fail us, church, when we use our gift for the benefit of all, for the advancement of his kingdom and not our own kingdom. This ascended Jesus, it says that also he descended into the lower regions, that Jesus ascended the mount called Calvary and he conquered sin and death. If we find ourselves this morning in a low spot or in the pit, Jesus took this on to be with you. Therefore, in the valley, we have access to the summit because Jesus is our master, but he's also our Emmanuel. He is our king, but he is also our friend. He is sovereign, but he is also our shepherd. He is our God, and he works for his good and our good. His rule is not from afar, church. So his rule, it brings us, it brings us near. The ascended Jesus plunges into the depths of where we're at, exactly where we are, and is with us so that we can experience and be brought up with him. That's why Paul says that you've been seated in Christ in the heavenly places. Like when I read that, I'm like, Paul, no, I'm like, I'm like here. But there's this mystery of entering into the cloud, into the thick darkness as Moses would, in the midst of the pit, to be with Jesus. We trust him. I don't know where you're at. You may be in the pit. Maybe in the fire, and I know some friends back in the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who experienced some fire. But there was this mysterious one, this fourth one, that was in the fire with them. And the Bible says that they were unbound, and they were just walking around chilling, unharmed, unsinged. In the same way, when we go through the fire, this mysterious one, this ascended Jesus also descends and dwells among us and in us, as we'll talk about more next week. But as he dwells in us, he invites us, church. He invites us to be sent out to join him in the activity that he's doing in the world. That's why it says in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, and the shepherds, and the teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. He's given gifts. He's given spiritual gifts, but the gifts he's talking about here is people. He's given the gifts of the apostles. We call this at the, at the Grove, you'll hear, hear us say apest. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers that each one of us have been gifted individually in unique and different ways. And God's wired it this way. That Some of us in this room may be, may be an apostle, not in the same way that the 12 uh, plus Paul were the apostles, but there, there's, there's an apostle gifting that is in us because we're dream awakeners. We're, we're, we're ones that are thinking mission-minded. We're, we're thinking, let's send people out rather than get them here. The prophets in the room uh, are calling us back to what we need to hear, but also speaking forth of what we need to know, what is coming. coming. They're thinking, be God's holy people in a place. The evangelists in the room, and they're storytellers. You ever been around a storyteller? It's good. You're in conversation with, and they're talking, and you're just like all caught up into the conversation, the story that they're telling. You almost, almost lose yourself because you start identifying 
with their story. You see yourself in their story as the hero or the villain. That he's, church, he's equipped the evangelists to think about people getting saved. The shepherd in the room, he's the intercessor. He's the one who creates environments of safety and vulnerability. I mean, these are the counselors. But also, if you know something about a shepherd is they have a shepherd's staff. If you don't mess with them, they're also protectors to protect the flock. But also, there's teachers. You know a teacher because they're always thinking, what do people need to know? What can I research? What can I gather? What books do I need to, need to be reading so I can impart wisdom to others? This is the beauty about the body is that amongst the, the diversity, amongst the uniqueness, we're still one. In church, if we're, if, if we're not careful, the church can become around one personality and one type of gifting, and we can elevate that as that's the way to live. That's not the church. That's not the body. That's not what makes us unique, that we're, that, that we're, that we're all different, yet one under the ascended Jesus. And these gifts are, are intended to e equip the saints for the work of ministry. So as leaders, we don't do ministry. We lead others to do the ministry which is hard for me because I'm like the guy that's like the, the doer. I, I gotta do some stuff. I gotta do all the things. And it, it, it takes work to take a step back and think, no, 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 who do I need to be equipping? Who do I need to be training? Who do I need to be developing rather than reverting back to my high school self thinking I'm, I'm the superhero and the all-star and no one can do as good as me? How can God use me to shape, to chisel? And it's work, y'all. It's work. If you're, if you're a parent in the house, it's work discipling. It's, it's work training. If you're a teacher in the house, you're like, June can't be here early enough. And some of y'all on Fort Bend like, stinks for y'all, we're out. That may be you. But it's work, it's, it's work training and coming alongside people and inviting them into following Jesus. My wife and I were walking around yesterday uh, around our neighborhood and uh, we got to, we live in Longmeadow Farms and there's a, there's a gym, our, our fitness center there and then around the gym is this, this beautiful pond um, that has a fountain in the middle and uh, it's a good, good walk around and so we're walking around enjoying, enjoying the pond and I began to think about, uh, as I was walking around the pond, like this is cool but no one can really see this from 99. Like you wouldn't know this, this, this pond was there unless you actually drove into Longmeadow, saw the pond, observed it. Like that'd be, that, cool, all right, that, that's, that's there. And in this pond, I began to think about it, it has very little impact, it has a very little audience, and it's simply mechanical. It feeds off itself for the betterment of a very small community. But church, but a river have you been to Colorado? Have you been maybe whitewater rafting? Have you been around the river? I was in youth ministry once and we took a bunch of kids, a bunch of teenagers to go whitewater rafting. I don't know why parents entrusted me with their kids in Colorado to go whitewater rafting in my early 20s, but they did. And we're out there whitewater rafting and it, it's risky, it's bumpy. I mean, there's twists and turns. I have kids falling out of the raft, me freaking out. Ascend to Jesus, you're still on the throne? You're still on the throne, okay, cool. But I'm gonna descend and get him and get him out into this raft. A river's powerful. It moves, it flows. And it's a betterment, much more to just a smaller audience, but to much, a much bigger audience. Think, Aaron, why are you talking about ponds and rivers? Because church, let us be the river church. Let us be a church that is not simply about 
our programs or, or what we have going on here to get you comfortable in the seat or entertain you like once a week. But let us be the church that equips you, that trains you to say you got a priesthood. You don't have a volunteerhood. You have a spirit residing in you to unleash you out to be a part of priestly kingdom work. And too often we settle for passing out bulletins or, or setting up chairs. And y'all, we need, we need those things. I may be torn off the stage here in a little bit, but that's okay. We need those things, especially in the summer. We, we have gaps that we're looking at that in order for this to happen, people need to step up. So I don't wanna disregard that, but you're much more than just a chair stacker or, 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 put, put like, or much more than just amongst the details of what goes on a Sunday morning. You've been given a priesthood that the spirit of God resides in you. And so what does it look like to be unleashed out, to be the church rather than simply come to church on a Sunday morning? So what's this look like? It looks like us making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. If you are making a disciple who is not making other disciples, then I'm gonna submit to you this morning that you're not making disciples. Because in order for the gospel to go out, in order for the glory of the Lord to fill the earth, is we gotta duplicate ourselves. That God is about multiplication, not addition. Multiplying ourselves out, embracing our priesthood, to be, to bear witness of the gospel on people's lives and invite them into it. I'll close with this. This past week I was uh, on Facebook and my newsfeed was blown up about uh, this show called America's Got Talent. I'm not a, I don't watch singer shows. I don't watch America's Got Talent. But there were so many views on this thing. I thought, well, I guess I'll watch it because uh, people are watching it. And so I clicked America's Got Talent and uh, there was this guy named Cody Lee that came on uh, who was a young adult. Uh, he's autistic and blind. Uh, and he comes up to the stage and everybody's thinking, What's this, what, what talent does this guy have? Like, what's, what is he gonna bring to the table? I mean, he, he, he can barely even introduce himself, but yet he's gonna, he's gonna sing in front of people? And I, I'm not gonna ruin it for you, but I'll just say that I would encourage you to go, to go watch that because brother right here came unglued watching that thing. I mean, I had to channel down the tear ducts to, to just kind of suppress that down because God forbid someone see me break down watching America has got talent. But it was this past week. Because he went up there and killed it. And, the, and his mom, who was there with him, says, yeah, music has saved his life. I don't know where we would be. Church, what would it look like to, 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 to create an environment as America's Got Talent has to say not music has changed my life or saved my life, but Jesus has saved my life. And I cannot help. And you would look at the video, you see when everybody erupts and applauds, yeah! What's Cody Lee doing? He looks over and he's like, yeah, what are we clapping about? Uh-huh, yeah, this is, this is cool. And that we would do the same. That we, the church, would not be about being the hero, but that we would awaken the gifts and people and run after the true hero, our ascended one. Because he's ascended, he rules and reigns. He, he unifies the church and he provides gifts to equip the church to impact the city. Let us celebrate church, not filling this place, but that we'd celebrate sending people out. That's what gets Jesus clapping. And that's why the ascension matters this morning. So I'll close with this question. The same question I asked at the very beginning is will you join me in praying this week? Ascended and available Jesus, what does risk for your kingdom look like this week, 
this month, this year, and Jesus, would you give me the boldness to step out of the boat, to be obedient, whether that looks like failing according to the world, it would be a failure to me not respond in obedience. You have a priesthood, not just a volunteerhood. You have the spirit of God residing in you. That's dynamite that we'll hear more about next week. So let's break out church and let's be the church. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that you came and you, uh, you ascended. Uh, but before you ascended, you came and you came to the depths of where we're at called earth. You humbled yourself. You lowered yourself. You washed disciples' feet. You died a humiliating death. And God, you, you rose from the grave. You conquered death and sin and evil and you're making all things new, and you're inviting us as the ascended one, the one in the cloud, to be a part of your kingdom work, to not just sit in the seat and be a fan, but to, to step out and be a part of sharing the truth and the goodness of who you are. And so I pray that we would be a people in our workplaces, that we'd be the engineer, God, that we'd be the lawyer in the room or that we'd be the teacher in the room that have such a, such a that, that dynamite power that you've given that we can't help but speak about you, that we look for moments to invite people into the truth, into life, that you've given yourself so that we could find life in, in you. And so whatever fear creeps in, God, I pray against it. Whatever anxiety is creeping in, when we think about risk, I pray you take it away. And let us be about the ascended Jesus, highly lifted up as we lower ourselves to invite others to come along and making much of you. Give us boldness, God, when we don't have it. We need it. You reign over all, you bring unity. Oh man, you invite us to be a part of what you're doing. We love you, God. It's your name I pray. Amen.